may sound like Mission Impossible, to have a church that accepts immoral people without accepting immorality. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah explains that this problem is as old as the church itself, and Christ has some stern warnings for those who have allowed immorality to enter in. Listen as David introduces today's message from Revelation chapter 2, The Adulterous Church. Well, if you're just joining us, you may or may not know that the book of Revelation begins in the second and third chapters with seven letters to seven actual churches that surrounded the island of Patmos, where John the Apostle had been exiled. Uh, From that island, he can, in his mind's eye, just view those churches in order as they circled around him. Uh, We've already looked at the church at Ephesus and uh, We are now uh, ready to meet uh, the people in the city of Thyatira. This church is a very interesting church because in the letter that was written to the church, we are informed that the church had a problem because of a well, what we would call today a false teacher who was allowed into the church and began to influence the people away from God. What a reminder to us of the importance of um, being vigilant. We have a situation at Shadow Mountain where I pastor where you cannot teach or have influence in the church on any board or any place where you might be able to influence others unless you have come through the membership process and your testimony has been heard and uh, you you have literally uh, recommended yourself to the congregation based upon your experience with the Lord. I believe in that process, and even with that process, if we are not careful, people can come in among us who want to hurt the church, and you will see the result of that in the letter that John writes to the church in Thyatira. We'll get to that in just a moment. The Book of Signs is our resource for the month of March. Um, it's a guide to biblical prophecy uh, written in a way that you will really be intrigued by because every chapter is a message in itself, and yet it all fits together. And every chapter is written like an article you would read in a magazine or in a newspaper. It's not a sermon, although there are sermonic uh, aspects to it. We've written this with uh, key stories and illustrations, contemporary applications. We want you to understand what the Scripture says because we know when you do, it will make a difference in your life. So when you send a gift to Turning Point during this month, this month of March, be sure and ask for your copy of the Book of Signs. It's 463 pages of information to help you, information to share with others, information from God about what's going to happen next. It's our way of saying thank you, and I hope you'll give us the opportunity. And now let's get back to our study as we open our Bibles again to the last book, the book of Revelation. Most of you know that Over the last few years, we have been doing events in different cities where Turning Point Radio and Television is strong. We go in on a Wednesday and we do a dinner with friends that we have there. And then on Thursday night, we do a big event in one of the arenas there, usually one of the NBA basketball arenas. But what we don't talk a lot about is the fact that on the morning of that event, we also have a breakfast for pastors. And pastors come from all over the community. We invite them to come. And I suppose over the last year or so, I've spoken to well over a thousand pastors at these meetings. Something very interesting is happening as we do these events with these clergymen, these pastors, most of whom would be sort of evangelical, I'm sure, like us. 
a very strange transition is taking place. Before I tell you what it is, let me tell you that when we went to England to do an event over there, we did not know what to expect because we've heard so much about the deadness of the church in London and in England. When we got there, we found it was very much alive, but not very much alive like we thought. Almost all of the life in the church in England is not from England. It's from all of the countries that have imported people into the nation, from Jamaica especially. Our audience the night we had our two events was, I would say, at least 60% non-English. But from all of the different places, they have come into the city and they have provided the spiritual life for that nation. Something of a similar ilk is happening in our own country. When we first started doing this, we had almost no representation from multicultural groups. It was primarily a lot of white pastors in their middle age to young age, some older. And over a period of time, we have seen more and more African-American pastors come, for which we're so grateful. But also international men from Korea and from all of the nations of the world. And when I speak to them as they come through the line, I ask them why they have come here. And believe it or not, there is a real movement afoot for people to come to America from other nations almost as missionaries to us. That's where the church is today and where it's headed in our country. I don't think I've ever seen the church of Jesus Christ in such disarray and confusion as it is today. Almost every city is filled with storefront churches of every ilk. Every time somebody gets an idea that they want to have a church, they just go rent a a building that's been vacated and start, and some of those are very vibrant and very good. But the church, in terms of its stability and its purpose, why it is here in the first place, seems to have gotten lost in just a lot of confusion. And I was thinking about that a lot as I read this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at, and as I reminded myself of what these churches were like to whom John wrote these letters. Interestingly enough, many of the problems that we are facing today are the problems that were a part of the early church. But the church that we're going to study is the church of Thyatira. And this church has an even more modern malady than the ones we have discussed before. This church struggles with an issue that is very much a part of the struggle of today's church. Before we get to the issue, let me tell you a little bit about this church. The letter that is written to them is recorded for us in the second chapter of Revelation, beginning at verse 18. It is the longest letter written to any of the churches. And the letter is written to a church in a city called Thyatira. Say the word out loud with me, Thyatira. You won't believe how that word is pronounced by some folks, but that's the way it's pronounced, Thyatira. Now, unlike the cities we have already studied, the city of Thyatira was not located on a mountain. It was located in a valley between two cities. It had no natural fortifications. It was protected throughout its history by a Roman garrison. Thyatira was located about halfway between Pergamus and Sardis on the great circular road of the province of Asia. The journey from Pergamus to Thyatira would be about 40 miles. And it was a bustling trade center. 
boasting numerous guilds and bakers and bronze workers and clothiers and cobblers and weavers and tanners and dyers and potters all organized in trade unions in Thyatira. And Thyatira was a city of enduring sacrifices and shallow ritualism. To this church that was located in that city is written the longest letter of the seven letters, even though by the estimate of most, it is the least important of the seven cities. Now, you don't know very much about Thyatira, but let me tell you something that you probably do know. There was a woman who was from Thyatira. Her story is given to us in the book of Acts, and her name is Lydia. You will find her in the 16th chapter of Acts. The Bible says that Lydia was a businesswoman. She traded in materials that were treated with Thyatira's special purple. She was described by Luke as a seller of purple goods. She probably went to Philippi in Macedonia, of which Thyatira was a colony, and while she was there, she heard Paul preach the gospel, and Lydia became a Christian. She's the most famous citizen of Thyatira in the Bible. And many believe that she was the agent that God used to establish the church back in her hometown. Having been converted by Paul in an evangelistic meeting, she went back to Thyatira and she began to build a consensus of people around the gospel and a church was formed there. We do know from Christ's words that there was a good church in Thyatira at the time the letter was written. Now, in all of the letters that we have studied, we have learned that Jesus addresses himself to each of these churches in a different way. Notice verse 18, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these things says the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like fine brass. In every instance, the Lord speaks to the church out of his essence as God and uses the description that is necessary for the problem that's in the church. The problem that we're going to discuss in the church in Thyatira was more of a secret problem, more of a kind of thing that was done not necessarily always out in the open but behind closed doors, yet known by all. And to that church, the Lord Jesus Christ addresses himself as the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire. To Pergamus, he presented himself as he who has the sharp two-edged sword. But now to the Christians in Thyatira comes a word about, first of all, the authority of Jesus. Here he is called the Son of God. All these descriptions find their origin, if you want to know where they come from, back in the first chapter of Revelation where there's an extended section that describes who Jesus is. Out of that extended section, the writer of the letters pulls little phrases and addresses them individually to all of the seven churches. The description of Jesus Christ as the Son of Man refers to his humanity, but the description of Jesus Christ as the Son of God draws attention to his deity. In chapter 1, John sees Christ in his glory as the Son of Man, ministering to the seven churches. But here in the letter to the church in Thyatira, he sees Christ as the Son of God. This title is used intentionally to add solemnity to the message which is about to be delivered to this church. 
You know, I think if you had the choice to meet the Son of Man or the Son of God, you'd probably choose the Son of Man even though they're one and the same person. There's something about that phrase, this is the Son of the living God, that brings a little seriousness to the discussion, which is what is necessary in this passage. Now, the authority of Jesus is followed up by the awareness of Jesus. Notice in verse 18, Jesus is described as the one who has eyes like a flame of fire. His eyes are described this way so that we might know that the eyes of Jesus pierce the darkness and flash with the flame of moral anger. One writer has said there is nothing more piercing than flaming fire. Everything yields and melts before it. It penetrates all things, consumes every opposition, sweeps down all obstructions, and presses its way with invincible power. And of this sort are the eyes of Jesus. They look through everything. They pierce through all masks and coverings. They search the remotest recesses, and they behold the most hidden things of the soul. There is no escape from the eyes of Jesus. As the Son of God, he is omniscient as well as almighty. Peter said to Jesus after the resurrection, Lord, you know all things. Isn't that true? (laughs) He knows all things. After listening to Jesus teach in the upper room, his disciples said to him, Lord, we are sure that you know all things and you have no need that anyone should question you. To the church that tolerated the secret sins of immorality, Jesus is presented as the divine heart-knower with eyes of flaming fire. Revelation 2.23 seems to be underscoring this aspect of his character. He is the one who searches the hearts of men. That's the authority of Jesus and the awareness of Jesus. Notice There's one little phrase here about the anger of Jesus. Revelation 2.18, and his feet are like fine brass. Fine brass was a hard alloy that when adequately polished looked like gold. In the Greek language, fine brass is just one word. It could be translated by burnished brass or bright bronze. It is found in the New Testament only in the first and second chapters of Revelation. And it reminds us that Christ takes on this visage of judgment this brass is a symbol of judgment the lord jesus is going to present himself to this church after describing the good things of the church he's going to present himself as an all-knowing lord who sees what is really going on and brings adequate judgment to those who are involved just hold that in the back of your mind now that's the designation of the letter. Notice what the Lord Jesus says about the church in Thyatira as this letter is penned by John. Verse 19 is a pregnant verse. Notice, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience, and as for your works, the last are more than the first. (laughs) Now, in many ways, the service of the church in Thyatira was better than any of the other churches. She had preserved the faith that was in jeopardy in Pergamos and shared with Smyrna the patience that you need to suffer. As we examine the Thyatiran church, we discover four positive things that Jesus says about her. First of all, Thyatira was a laboring church. I know your works and your service. 
The word works appears twice in this verse. It is found at the beginning of Christ's statement, and it's found at the end of his statement. And the repetition of this word adds a sense of emphasis. This was a working, laboring church. The word for service in the text is the same word for the word deacon. It's diakonon. It means they served. A deacon is a server, a servant. And the Bible says that the church of Thyatira was a serving church. The church in Thyatira was, first of all, a laboring church. But notice next, it was a loving church. I know your works and your service, and I know your love. The church in Thyatira was a match for the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus was known for its energy and devotion, but it had also kept the warm glow of love, which Ephesians had lost. What was waning in Ephesus was gaining in Thyatira. Love for one another is so important in the Bible and so important in these churches because love is important to God. Someone has pointed out that as John grew older, the writer of these letters, his teaching grew simpler. He spoke always and only of one thing, the love of God. According to an old tradition, one of his disciples complained to him about this. They said to John in his old age, John, why don't you talk about anything else except love? And John answered, I don't talk about anything else except love because there isn't anything else except love. Thyatira was a laboring church and a loving church, and it was loyal. The Lord Jesus says, I know your faith. The word faith here is the word pistos, which means more faithfulness and fidelity and loyalty. The Christians in Thyatira were dependable people. They did what they said they would do. They stood behind their word. The ministry of the believers in this city was continued in spite of resistance and criticism. They fulfilled the one requirement of a servant that we read about in 1 Corinthians 4.2. It is required of a servant that he be faithful. They were a laboring church. They were a loving church. They were a loyal church. And they were a long-suffering church. I know your patience, says the Scripture. And the word patience is a word in the language of the New Testament that is made up of two words which convey the idea of staying power under adverse circumstances. In other words, when the pressure was on, they didn't quit. They didn't walk away. They didn't lose their fervor for Christ in the midst of all the pressure they felt. They were patient in tribulation, as we read about in Romans 12, 12. And they were tested under tribulation, and it produced their faith. The church in Thyatira had a very humble ministry, and yet it produced in its members the three graces Paul often discusses in his letters. It produced faith, hope, and love. And this is a church that if we stopped reading right now, we would all say, where's the address and how do I get there? (laughs) I'd like to attend that church. Oh, one last thing. At the end of the diagnosis of the church in Thyatira, the Lord Jesus adds perhaps the most important truth about that assembly. Notice verse 19. As for your works, the last are more than the first. This was a church that was getting better and better. It wasn't losing its first love like the church in Ephesus. This church was getting better and better, and it was growing, and it was a general statement about this church that would seem to be a qualification of all of the things we've already said. They were growing in their work. They were growing in their love. They were growing in their patience. They were growing in their service. 
This church was growing. It was moving. It was not diminishing. They were continuing to grow in their good deeds. For your last works are greater than your first. And most likely this is intended quantitatively and qualitatively. They were more good deeds and they had more impact when those deeds were played out. So let me just stop for a moment and give you this final word about the goodness of the church of Thyatira. It was a good church. It did a lot of good things. But how many of you know that a lot of good churches start out good and don't stay there? You know, Satan doesn't bother bad churches. He's already got them. You got a church that doesn't preach the Bible, doesn't talk about Jesus, doesn't make the plan of salvation. Why would Satan want to mess with that? But good churches, churches that have something going for God, they have a target on their back. Satan goes after those churches. He went after a loving church in Ephesus and tried to destroy it with their malaise. He went after the church in Smyrna, which was a good church, one of the two churches that didn't have anything evil said about it. And what it couldn't do with malaise in the church of Smyrna, it tried to do with persecution. Satan went after the church in Pergamos, and they were in a city of Satanism, and so they got corrupted with the throne of Satan. He doesn't care how he destroys a good church. He will do anything he can, no matter what it is. And if he tries one thing and it doesn't work, he'll back away and try something else. He is a relentless enemy The church of Jesus Christ is the one thing he fears more than anything else except the Lord Jesus himself. So now let me share with you what he did in the church in Thyatira. How many of you know that when you see the word nevertheless in the Bible, uh, you've already had all the good news and the bad news is about to come? (laughs) Like when you say to your kids, you know, you clean up your room good and you put stuff away, nevertheless, you know, you made a mess in the kitchen, you know? So this is the nevertheless. Verse 20. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things that are sacrificed to idols. Whoa, I mean, that almost seems like it doesn't belong here. We've heard all these great things about this church and then all of a sudden, this expression... In the beautiful body of this church, so positively described, the Bible tells us there was a cancer that was being allowed to grow in the church. In this fair garden were some weeds. John Stott has reminded us of Satan's strategy in this matter. If the devil cannot conquer the church by the application of political pressure or the propagation of intellectual heresy, he will try the insinuation of moral evil. This was the dragon strategy in Thyatira. Thyatira had everything going for it except one thing, holiness. It was doing all the work of God, going through all the motions, even seeming to produce the right product. When we think back to the church in Ephesus, we remember a body that could not bear evil, but the body had no love. Thyatira had love but tolerated evil. The difference between the two is only the difference in strategy of Satan as he tries to come after the church. Here was the problem in Thyatira. Let me ask you if it doesn't seem like it has a little bit of application today. They were a good church. They did a lot of good things. But the lifestyle of the people wasn't much different from the lifestyle of the city where the church was planted. 
And that's uh, the criticism that we hear a lot today, don't we not? Uh, George Barna comes out with um, statistical studies on the things that are going on in our culture today and then drops it on us at the end of his discussion that the church is not very far behind the culture. And the Bible tells us that we are never to allow the world to pressure us into its mold. We're doing that more than we should these days. And uh, we need to stand up and be different and not ashamed to be different. We'll have more about this tomorrow as we finish out the week together in the book of Revelation, the second chapter, verses 18 through 29. We're talking about the church in Thyatira. Well, during this month, when you send a gift to Turning Point, we would like to send you a copy of the book, the book of signs, 463 pages of prophetic truth written in easy, understandable language, like um, news articles, like short chapters in a book. They tell you what the Bible says about 31 most important topics. And it's yours for a gift of any size to Turning Point. Simply ask for this book when you send your gift today. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Seven Churches of Revelation, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's informative book, The Book of Signs, 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International and New King James Versions, available in your choice of handsome cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue The Seven Churches of Revelation, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with Airship Genesis Legendary Bible Adventures from Turning Point. Tune in to our monthly audio adventures and join the Genesis Exploration Squad as they travel back in time to experience the stories of the Bible firsthand and discover life-changing lessons. Also available is the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible packed with the biblical content specifically written for kids from trusted Bible teacher, Dr. David Jeremiah. You can also download our Airship Genesis mobile game on your favorite smart device and play as your favorite characters in this puzzle adventure game as the squad experiences the life of Jesus firsthand. Just go to your app store and type the keywords Airship Genesis. For more details or to order a copy of the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, visit our website at airshipgenesis.com Bible. That's airshipgenesis.com slash Bible. The book of Revelation is filled with mystery, prophecy, and numbers. In fact, the number seven is mentioned 54 times. Dr. David Jeremiah helps us understand these sevens in the Revelation 7 Study Handbook and Seven Praises Bookmark, yours this month for a gift of any amount. And when you give a gift of $60 or more, you'll gain a clearer understanding with the Seven Churches of Revelation Study Set, which includes a CD or DVD album and study guide. Go to davidjeremiah.ca to learn more. An Internet research company continually updates a list of the 25 most frequently used passwords on the Internet. 
and the most frequently used password on the Internet is password. That's right. More than any other password, computer users choose the word password to protect their sensitive data. No wonder so many people lose their personal data to hackers and identity thieves. Did you know there is a password for accessing the blessings of heaven? It's found in Acts 4.12. It's the name of Jesus. Peter said there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's blessings through Jesus Christ on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.